everybody. Welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley, and I'm super excited for this week's show because <laughs> we have a very special guest in from Los Angeles. In studio. Here to talk real genius. The biggest genius I know. <laughs> Jan B. Hi, Jan. We will also probably talk about movies, but I'm comfortable with the conversation just focusing on my genius. Let's talk about your genius. <laughs> Let's talk about science. Let's talk about making... Slime. Let's talk about making slime, which my daughter is very much into, and let's talk about making quarters out of liquid nitrogen. Let's do it. To buy coffee? Yeah. He could just use Necco wafers. Right? I'm just going to say that's People a used to tell me that, that, was a, that you could do that like at pay tolls. Yes. But I never tried it. Oh, I've tried it. Oh, for real? It does work. <laughs> and I will say the liquid nitrogen is a cool trick. Work smarter, not harder. That's right. That's <laughs> what i'm gonna say i think a cup of coffee was 20 cents like how much is he really yeah right saving how, well the school pays for the liquid nitrogen true so so how are you i'm doing well thank you yeah i'm living out in the land of movies hold on your so. mic is shorting out a little bit oh. so i'm fixing it Sublance. okay try talking Sublance. try talking just try ouch. it just try it <laughs> ouch no you're good okay okay thank you yeah. Um, hey, Jan. Hi, Patrick. Have you seen anything good lately? I have seen a ton of good stuff. Yay! Lately. Okay. I was at a um, movie marathon yesterday with some dear friends of mine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we Go saw a ton on. of great movies. <laughs> were they great? They were. No, well, you know what? <laughs> they were all... Greatness is a subjective term mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. is highly contextual okay okay so yeah they were all great okay wow. I was in the mood to watch five freaking movies in a row <laughs> and i had a fan freaking tastic time did you have a favorite of the five should we say what the five were yeah let's go through the five okay the first one was i'm <laughs> it's okay it hail caesar hail caesar okay Hail Caesar was definitely my favorite rewatch of recent months because Hail Caesar was the one of the five yesterday that I'd already seen, mm-hmm. and I just it just hit me cleaner or something. It I was maybe because I've been living out in L.A. area for a few months now. Uh, all the you are you joined the Communist Party. I did join the Communist Party. I did ride in a submarine. No, I didn't ride in a submarine. Um. <laughs> It's just all the movie business stuff. You know one thing I really loved about Hail Caesar? What's that? Um, many things I love. One thing I really was paying attention to this time was the character of Josh Brolin. Because very often in these um, the movie business kind of movies, which yeah. we saw a bunch of trailers for yesterday, it was fantastic. <laughs> um, very often these are shown to be men who are... Uh, conniving or um, very opportunistic. Right. Right. And at heart, Josh Brolin as the head of the movie studio, Capital Movies, is a really decent guy. Yeah. Like he doesn't see his kids enough, but when he's asking his wife like, oh, she was worried about her spelling test, you can tell he cares. Right. And he thinks about leaving his position as the head of a movie studio to take a job with Lockheed that would give him more time at home, and he just, I'm not going to spoil it, 
But in case you haven't seen Hail Caesar, give it a watch. Coen Brothers. Um, and that really struck me. Um, just his character, I thought, was really well played, well written, and I, I really dug it. I love his character, and I love how serious the movie allows him to be while all this wacky business happens around him. Yes. He's very grounded. Um, I still haven't like figured out, and I'm convinced, and that's part of why I picked it to show yesterday, that like it's their secret masterpiece. Like they mm. have the ones that are everybody agrees are the masterpieces. I think Hail Caesar is like their best post No Country for Old Men movie, yeah. and I think it belongs in the pantheon of great Coen Brothers movies because I think it's about a ton of things, and I haven't yet been able to fully articulate because I'm not a religious or even particularly faithful Then why person. am I here <laughs> except to convert you and your dark, dark soul? <laughs> There's the scene, and I think I talked about this back in like 2015 when I put this on my top 10 list. There's a scene late in the movie where they don't show the actor because you're not allowed to show depictions of the Godhead. Mm -hmm. um, it's just an extra on a cross. And a guy comes up to him like a PA asking about box lunch or whatever. Mm -hmm. He says, are you a principal or an extra? He says, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, that not that just the question of the movie? Like, what role does this figure play in our lives? Wow. Who do you serve, right? And Josh Brolin, in addition to serving God because he's very religious, believes in serving the studio. And believes that it's a good thing that he's doing, even though it's a yes. hard thing. And I love that. Yeah, because a lot of films about filmmaking put forth the idea that film is intrinsically good and beneficial to society. But it still shows a bunch of assholes making films. Exactly. So to see him as a decent man contemplating, and at the time, I think Lockheed... Is this perfect, <laughs> you right, know, right. this perfect comparison to Capitol Records, um, even calling calling it Capitol Records, I think, is kind of a nod and a wink. Um, yeah. When you, when you sure. talk about communism and right. capitalism. And, right. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I really I like that aspect of it. Communism being another, like, who do you serve? Mm -hmm. I love Hobie Doyle. I love how good and decent Hobie Doyle is. Yes. It could have been easy to just make everybody George Clooney. Uh, would, would that a, would Kind it, of a stooge. Would that a twerk so <laughs> easy. A, Lawrence Lorenz presents. <laughs> so funny. Another favorite aspect, and I know this podcast is not all about... Um, it is now. It is now. It is now... <laughs> The We Stan Hail Caesar. <laughs> um, another thing I really loved is how easy and genuine um, Hobie and Carlotta are able to yes. be with each other. That it just brings me joy to see them goofing around at dinner and her, him being kind of a goof and her genuinely being tickled by his um, Italian origami, <laughs> which... Um, it's just there's there's cool people in it, great great characters. If you're not sure that you agree with Patrick Bromley's thesis mm -hmm. that it is a hidden gem and you've only seen it once, or a hidden masterpiece and yeah. only seen it once, give it another watch. Yes, absolutely, because it is more than just like funny set pieces. 
even though but it there's has really funny of those. pieces. <laughs> right. The mermaid number is delightful. Yeah. No dames is delightful. Would that it were so simple is great. Like yep. I forget the formula that Gene Siskel put forth. Was it two good scenes or three good scenes? I think it's three good scenes and no bad scenes. So was that wasn't Gene Siskel, was it? I think it was <laughs> I Ebert. I don't think it was. I, no? Was, it might have been. I think it's like... Comment on, below. Oh, he's looking three it up for us. Three good scenes and no bad ones is attributed to Howard Hawks. Oh. <laughs> Not Gene Siskel. <laughs> Who but, also ha- made Rio Bravo in his right. backyard. Haven't you heard Siskel being called the Howard Hawks of the Tribune? <laughs> I have. <laughs> so it's Howard Hawks. Uh, his rule of a good movie applies to Hail Caesar. Yeah. And what then else? we watched yeah. Detroit Rock City. Okay. You know what? I might go with Detroit Rock City as my favorite. Really? Okay. And I'll tell you why. I'm excited. I was not I had no idea what we were watching. I had a feeling that the movie would involve Kiss the Band in some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do love kissing bands. Sure. <laughs> I have a long history of band kissing. No. Um, and I mean bands like Casey and the Sunshine Band. No, I'm not I talking like three guys in a band. No. Um, were there a lot of people in Casey and the Sunshine I don't know. Band? I think I so. <laughs> I know there was in at the least one person. Below, <laughs> So, um, yeah, because it was unexpected. And again, and we might talk about this more throughout this podcast. The, the, there were four members of a Kiss cover band called Mystery, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I love that. Um, and we get to know each kid as an individual kid with his own desires for seeing Kiss, his own kind of dynamic within the band, his own kind of thing going on at school and I really liked that. Yeah. And I can tell you right now that as it leads to I again I no spoilers for Detroit Rock City <laughs> a twenty four year old movie. But these four kids do end up outside the arena where Kiss Concert is about to take place. And I really felt like the movie had given me enough of the char- characters so that when they get there, I feel like, holy shit, how they must feel to be finally have reached this place through the trials and tribulations where they can look around and see people who love the thing they love. Mm-hmm. And I think it hit me because I came pretty far this weekend to be in a place where I could be with people who love the thing I love. Yeah. And so that really hit me, and it was super, super satisfying as a movie lover to participate in that film for the first time, you know, with a group of people who love what I love. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, I picked it just because I'm a... You know what? Fifteen-year-old boy. We're idiots. Thank Kiss (laughs) is who we should be thanking. True is Kiss. Yeah. Um, and Eddie Furlong. Yeah. <laughs> I liked him in this. Yeah, he was I liked good. His, Everybody's good. I liked his weirdness in this. And yeah. It was part of his thing, his deal. So. James DeBello maybe overplays the, like, man a little bit. But <laughs> yeah, he but does that in every movie. Although, so it works. It's uh, fine. I, yeah, I was that age in the 70s. I'm not <laughs> sure he's overplaying. 
<laughs> the other two are the ones that I like the best, probably because they're like the more like the nicer, more sensitive ones, you know. So yeah. I respond to them a little bit more. But the boy with the blonde hair, yeah. um, gem, yeah. Is kind of similar to a boy I had a crush on for a while in high school. Oh. So I was kind of channeling him. I'm like, I wonder whatever happened to that kid. <laughs> he was a sweetheart. Is that who you were texting? Constantly. <laughs> Don't tell Johnny. I won't. Please, your secret is safe with this podcast audience. <laughs> uh, okay, and then third? Third was Quigley Down Under, which you had to miss some I of. had to miss part of that yeah. one. But the part I saw I really liked just as a fun movie with uh, Tom Selleck doing a really fun yeah. performance. Yeah. that's This is the movie that makes me feel like Tom Selleck could have been a movie star. So he only happened? had a few like shots at it. I mean, yeah. he had a couple in the 80s. They never really took off. Obviously, he was best known as Magnum P.I. in the 80s. And people had a much harder time back then making the leap to being movie stars okay. from TV. Uh, you know, he does Three Men and a Baby. That's an insane hit. Like, yeah, that's a fun movie. Though. So he has a movie career, but Quigley Down Under is the one. He was almost Han Solo, you know. I know. So honestly, I think there's a couple of actors in Hollywood at that time. Harrison Ford being one of them. Yep. Maybe Kurt Russell being also another. Almost Han Solo. Yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking there's a couple actors who were kind of filling the role. That Tom Selleck could have filled mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. he had the chance. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, look at something like Quigley Down Under where he's a cowboy, sharpshooter, and then three men and a baby. Maybe they just didn't know what to do with him. Maybe. Because he had the comedy chops. But, right. Like, I never would have seen Harrison Ford in Three Men and a Baby. Uh, Sure. So. He would have hated that baby. He would have hated the baby. <laughs> That's not how it works, kid. <laughs> Good night, sweetheart. <laughs> Go to sleep. Um, no, I really, I really, really like Quigley Down Under. It's a movie that I saw in 1990. I was probably 12 and allowed to go to the movies by myself. Yeah. And it was PG or PG-13, so I could go. I didn't – I had nothing – I had no affinity for Tom Selleck. Wasn't really into westerns at the time, but I was like, I can get in. You were a super Australiaphile. I was a bit of a an Australiaphile, <laughs> a bit of a Oz Ozophile, Oz, whatever. They call um, them Ozymandiuses. <laughs> I went in just with no expectations. I was like, I'm just here to kill two hours and see a movie, and I really, really liked it. And I've always remembered how much I love the score and how much I love. Laura San Giacomo and how great oh, Alan yeah. Rickman is as a villain. You know, He's really good in it. On his big villain run, <laughs> obviously. Um, this was only like his third movie, I think. Really? Yeah. Die Hard he was could... his first movie. See. <laughs> what are we doing? What are any of us doing if mm. Alan Rickman made his first yeah. movie, Die Hard? Um, but I also like that it's a Western about... A specific, it's not just a Western that happens to be set in Australia. It's a Western right. about a specific thing happening that's specific to yeah. Australia. Yes. I thought that was really cool Although, and sad and horrible. But Yes, cool, sad, and horrible. Also, though, really <laughs> Also my nickname. <laughs> no way. <laughs> um, I was trying to just in the moment think of a cool nickname to call you by, but nothing came. No. Maybe if we knew each other for longer. <laughs> Um, very applicable to things that happened in our own history. And I actually yeah. was wondering if 
if the movie had been set in the American West with the same actors and the same themes, if it would have gotten made. And I think that would have been a fight. Yeah, it's possible. I think you miss the scene where Alan Rickman sort of explains to Quigley why he hired him. He pays him all this money to come all the way from America to Australia because he knows he's the world's greatest sharpshooter. And he gives a long speech about the Native American Mm. and then kind of ties it into, well, we have a similar problem here. And then Quigley proceeds to throw him out a window. Good. Yeah. As well he should have. And that's sort of the inciting incident of the movie that yeah. he's like, fuck your job. And he throws him <laughs> yeah. out of a window twice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, I just, I, I really like that movie. Yeah. I, uh, I enjoyed what I watched, which was most of it. And then, oh boy. Then was Land of the Lost. Then was Land of the Lost, which, which only Jan guessed correctly. I guessed what it was going to be. Yeah. And I loved the heck out of it. I, or as I texted JB at F this movie, follow. Um, I love this shit. Loved the shit out of it. Enjoy the heck, <laughs> heck out of it. Because I was a huge Land of the Lost fan yeah. back in the 70s. And so when um, Patrick showed the original opening of that Sid and Marty Croft Saturday morning show, and I could not help but sing along because that is a song that pops into my head that I will sing to myself. Interesting. The way you might sing, you know, Brandy, you're a fine girl, what a good one. You know, like you're on, on the way to the store or something. And I will be thinking in my head, Marshall, Will, and Holly <laughs> on a routine expedition. Because I loved that show. And so, um, you know, we'd been talking about it afterwards Uh And you said, who is this movie for? Yeah. (laughs) Because it's not quite Will Ferrell's, not, I I don't want to say not his wheelhouse. Well, there's a lot of like Will Ferrell comedy in it. But it's not Will Ferrell's best movie. No. (laughs) And there's too much other stuff to get in the way of the Will Ferrell. So if you're going to the movie just because, well, I like Anchorman and this guy's in Anchorman, like you are not going to come away happy. Exactly. I if you're going for a romance, there is a romance in it, but I don't believe it for a minute. It and does no one's not going for a romance. <laughs> There's yeah, literally not right. one person. Okay, who goes to Land of like, <laughs> I like a love story with dinosaurs. <laughs> um, and what's the other guy who uh, the who plays uh, Will? Danny McBride. Danny McBride. Again, not Danny McBride's best movie. No. So... It's also not a terrifically faithful to the original Land no. of the Lost. No. So if you are a Sid and Marty Croft head, that's what they're called, right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you're not going to be happy. <laughs> but I loved it because I never would have seen it. I, I never saw it. I never would have had a chance to see it unless it was shown to me. Right. So um... Unless you were forced as part of a marathon <laughs> to sit through it because your home is hundreds of miles away. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, it's yeah. not it's not my favorite movie either, and I knew programming it that it was going to alienate some people. Part of the reason I programmed it because was because it has I, aliens in it. Correct, because <laughs> I thought the kids would watch it and then they bailed on me. <laughs> so now I'm like, well, now I'm just showing Land of the Lost to a bunch of adults. But I love, I don't love the movie. I'm a fan of the director Brad Silberling, uh, and I love. What they did with a hundred million dollars of Universal's money. Yeah. Like 
movies that weird rarely get through the studio system. Yeah. Never anymore. Yeah. Uh, but in 2009, such a thing was possible that they just apparently were like, well, enough people know Land of the Lost that and Will Ferrell's. A, Do they, though? I, I, I guess. Maybe at the time they were yeah. just just hitting that. They were remaking a lot of TV shows in the 2000s yeah. and Will Ferrell was very popular. So yeah. here's a bunch of money, guys. Okay. You made Casper. That was a huge hit. Surely you can uh, <laughs> repeat you, that success. Do you think the money shows on screen in Land of the Lost? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Because yeah. I did too. It's a fun movie to look at. It's a f- it's the movie tries to be fun. It's not mean-spirited. Right. Except maybe to Matt Lauer. Um, <laughs> who, who has it coming? Let's has face it, it coming. He had a weird button in his um, office. <laughs> oh my god, I know, I know, so it's fun to see it. Um, in every movie, something would show up, we'd be like, well, that hasn't dated well. <laughs> uh, whoops. But. but you know what, if you're having a pizza night, you're with some friends, yeah. you're kind of just kicking back and being goofy, and you want to pop something in, and you have access to Land of the Lost, sure. give it a shot. Yes. Have a few laughs. Agreed. Loosen up, <laughs> you tight-buttoned. <laughs> F this movie fan. Land of the Lost Haters. <laughs> uh, and then we finish things up. So as Land of the Lost is playing maybe not especially well to the room, all I'm thinking of is like, oh, they're going to hate the next movie. Which was The Box. Which was The Box, which uh, I will open by saying like so we do trailers and we do videos and commercials and i put this whole little thing together and And it's awesome and in this case people didn't know what the movies were going to be so everybody's trying to guess and the clues were i showed two richard kelly trailers which was kind of the giveaway because he only made three movies so it's like well (laughs) well unless we're watching a trailer for the box (laughs) exactly and the other trailers were for movies that also like the box received an f cinema score (gasps) Really? Yes. So, and again, I put no stock in cinema score because Killing Me Softly and Solaris and like good movies get F cinema scores. Killing Me Softly? Yes. It's got Gandolfini. It does. It has a lot of good people. Yeah. Ray Liotta. Okay, yeah. And what was the other one you just said? Uh, oh, the George Solaris? Clooney remake of Solaris. Which I also don't dislike at all. I no, enjoyed I think watching it's really that movie. Good. Yeah. Uh, so cinema score stupid, whatever. But I just, I was waiting for people to maybe not really like the box, but to my surprise, it played pretty well. I think it played really well. I think, um, I, and I think putting it last was perfect because the tension that the movie creates was a real difference from kind of fun or kind of adventure. Um, and it really gets tense and it, you know, it's – I love these movies very much in the Rod Serling tradition of kind of throw out this concept of of how will people react. Just very the, – the whole movie can be sort of summed up with this concept. You get this box. If you push the button, somebody dies, but you get a million dollars. Do you do it? And that's the whole movie. Right. And it explores people's choices and not just one person's choice. It kind of tangentially looks at a lot of people's choices mm-hmm. and how this was put into effect. And it doesn't completely explain it, which I also liked. Sure. That it kind of explains it, but it 
that is not explicit about, oh, this is the whole pull back the entire curtain right. about what's going on. Right. So I really liked that aspect of it. I just, I kind of knew, and I don't want to spoil anything that happens in the box, but I will kind there's of. There's a box. There's a box. There's a button. You push it. Somebody dies. Um, and it had been done as a Twilight Zone with just that storyline. Like, if you do this, somebody's going to die. Do you do it or not? And the movie adds on all kinds of yeah mythology and ties in NASA and Mars and yeah. the afterlife and uh, because it's Richard Kelly and he swings big. Yeah. Um, okay, and- that's a great. Okay, let me just stop you there. Yeah. Because I'm your guest and you have to do what I say. Yeah. That is a great phrase to use for this movie, and it is a great way to sum up something that I love when movies do. That's all I wanted to say. Sure. It swings big, but wouldn't you rather have a movie that swings big than, like, yes. swings small and achieves, like, this small... <sighs> it, I, I, I guess I have to take it on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love movies that swing big, provided they at least halfway yeah, yeah. connect. Oh, I think this more than halfway connects. I agree. Yeah. But I also have to give credit to a movie that's very small and contained and, you know, blood simple. It's Mm, like we do this and we do it really, really well. Because Swings Big has become code, Twitter code, now that, like, movie critics on Twitter have to love everything. Um, You can tell when they don't like something because they'll say it swings big. Yeah, but that's not – that's not a – that's not a be-all, catch-all for – I agree. Unless you posit, which I would posit, that getting a movie made at all is such a freaking miracle that anything that tries to get made is swinging big. But I saw it in <laughs> reference to, like, Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania. Okay. Does that swing big? No. No. It swings <laughs> tiny. tiny. Did someone say small? Um, it. Uh, you can't say because... It, but I would also say that nah. a small, a, a quote unquote smaller swing like Blood Simple, yeah, because I think the big swing there is more for that quality, that intensity in a smaller arena, sure, can still be kind of a big swing. Yeah. Can, do you know what I'm trying sure. to say? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. And again, for them, if we're looking at it biogra- yeah, biographically, uh, getting a movie made at all was a big yeah. swing. So yeah. Blood Simple may be the wrong. Yeah example to use but i'm glad you liked yeah you really did and i'm glad that uh none of the movies were a total bust i don't i think they all played really well all right yeah i don't know about land of the lost okay for i'm only speaking for myself baby (laughs) i'm glad you like i was like i don't know it just tapped into like you said that you saw quigley when you were 12 and it just i don't know just that 10 or 11 year old kids sitting in front of the tv with a bowl of cereal just like land of the is yeah. coming on. I hope Chuck is in this one. <laughs> I just, I'm of the mind now. I like it better now, I think, than when I first saw it. But I think both Will Ferrell, a little Will Ferrell, and a little Danny McBride go a long way. Yeah. And there's a lot of both of them in the movie. And it's kind of like, it. sometimes it rests a little too much on, yeah, yeah. well, let's just let them riff for a while. There's a scene where they're on drugs. Yeah. Where they're just sitting around eating... Uh, crab <laughs> and ju- it just goes on because yeah. it's like just riff man and uh i might have yeah edited a little bit whatever yeah, whatever whatever it was super fun thank you for being here to watch movies 
And that's our podcast. And that's our podcast. <laughs> the first thing we did when Jan came out, not the first thing, the first thing we did was get her from the airport. <laughs> and take me to Portillo's. And take you to Portillo's. <laughs> but then the next morning we went to the new draft house here in Chicago to see a repertory screening of Real Genius, which is what we're actually going to talk about today. Yeah. Um, this was a movie that like, I, I feel like my brother might have loved and turned me on to. Um, so I've seen it many times since the 1980s. Yeah, me too. It was on cable a lot, I feel like. Yeah, I feel you're right. I feel um, it might still be on cable a lot. Is there still cable? I I, don't I, know. I truly have no idea. <laughs> I, I don't know how people do things. <laughs> we don't. It's got to be We no longer there. have any like movie channels on cable. Oh, really? Yeah, we don't subscribe to like Stars or Showtime or and we have HBO Max, so we yeah, don't subscribe we do to HBO. Okay, I don't know. I don't know how we get our movies. <laughs> My husband what takes care of all that for me. At JBF this movie, follow, <laughs> like, subscribe. Um Yeah, I don't know, but uh it's a movie I've seen a ton of times yeah. as well. And yeah. it was one of those movies that we'd frequently have so it's one of those movies like we raised our son with. Sure. So if he was having friends over, they might pop in Real Genius. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's just... it's a, Just like kids today. Just like kids today with the TikTok. What do you guys want to do? Should we watch TikTok for two hours? Or You guys want to watch a movie from 1985 about smart kids? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is about smart kids. But yes. again, there are characters in it. And because it's a comedy, you could say... They lean toward the caricature side of the spectrum, mm-hmm. but I don't think they ever fall into that the way a lot of you know teen movies sure. or teenage star movies yeah. do. Um, I think you do see some depth to the characters, and they're just a lot of fun, and the way they play against each other is really fun and interesting. Do you like the Val Kilmer performance? I do actually like that okay. Val Kilmer performance. If you're not a Kilmer in of that era, era. fan, uh, fan, um, you might not. I'm trying to think who of his age in the '80s might else have done that character. He's so fluid with it, though. Yeah, I mean, he just—it's <clears throat> you believe that character is that guy. Right. Even when he's telling Mitch, I used to be you, you can sort of see it. Right. That that used to be buttoned up scholar is gone in the character he plays now. But in fact, some of his over the top like bunny slippers and a Hawaiian shirt. No. You can. I know. What? <laughs> Here at MIT. I mean, at Caltech. No, it's not MIT. They make fun of MIT. What is Caltech supposed to be? Oh, I have no idea. It, I, maybe, I don't know, UCLA, one of those. Yeah. No, I can't remember. But you can see it as a little at the top, but also once you get to know the character, you see that the way, that the reason it is so over the top like that is a decided choice on his part right. to push against right. that academic pressure and right. to push against um, that grind. So I think he's good in it. I really enjoy his character. I do too. I ask because A, oh, if good, you don't... I thought you were going to no, say... No, no, no. I hate Val Kilmer in this movie. I remember reading a book. <laughs> there was a book about teen movies that I read like a few times. Uh, and 
the author of the book did not like this movie specifically because really? he couldn't stand the sort of wannabe Bill Murray Val Kilmer hmm. performance. Yeah, I would disagree with the wannabe Bill Murray. I can see where it's coming from, but I think Val Kilmer is has a very different energy. Yeah. So I just think yeah. if you don't if you're somebody who doesn't like that performance, yeah. there's not much in this movie for you. No. Absolutely not. Which um, isn't to say he's the whole show, but there's no. so much of him in it I, doing his shtick that I actually like Mitch a lot more than I usually do in played this. by Sarah Jessica it. Parker. No yeah. Um, <laughs> Gabe Jarrett, but I will only what be referring to Jarrett? him as Sarah Jessica no, Parker. No, it's true. So last summer I hosted a screening of Apollo 13, uh, and he shows up as one of the guys working at really? NASA, like older and like hotter. Okay. And I was like, that's the guy from Real Genius. Yeah. Uh, I think he's in a Karate Kid movie, but I want to yeah. say it's three, which I have maybe yeah. seen once. Because he's not a bad actor at all. No, not at all. Um, he's he d- does a great job with the character of Mitch. Yeah. I just never found Mitch as interesting as I did in this screening. Um, maybe it's because, I don't know, I've seen this movie like 40 times now. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite characters has always been Jordan, though. MVP of the movie. She, okay, for one, smart girls and women, especially at that time, were often depicted in a very particular way. And this very kind of snobby... And she just isn't. She's a breath of fresh air. She, She's kind of this innocent, and yet she shows her intellect. Yeah. Um, she's cute as a bug. Yeah. And you totally get the relationship between her and Mitch. Um, I've always just loved her. And Me too. Frequently around our house, we we will say things like, Oh, I'm sorry. I was sanding my floor. (laughs) (laughs) So we just watched Valley Girl as part of F This Movie Fest, which Jordan is in, uh, played by Michelle Mayrink uh, and directed by Martha Coolidge. So those two have reteamed. Do you know that this viewing of Valley Girl at F This Movie Fest was the first time I made that connection? Oh, okay. Oh, my gosh. She's Jordan. Yeah. So... Um, and they made another movie together called Joy of Sex that I think both mm. have disowned because mm. it's supposed to be based on the book and it's like a sex comedy from a girl's point of view. Like mm. their intentions are good, obviously, but I think it got taken away from Martha Coolidge and recut and it's very hard to see now. I saw it once. It was not good. But I love Michelle Mayer and wish she had a, a bigger career than she ended up yeah. having. Because she just, there's so much sincerity yeah. coming through on the screen. I really love that. Yeah. Um, we also, I think, talked about this movie a little bit around at this movie fest because of the War Games connection yeah. in that there was a run of movies in the 80s, and it's a small list, that made being smart cool. And yeah. War Games is one of them. Uh, my science project, sort of one of them. Real Genius being the biggest one. Yeah. Even something like Revenge of the Nerds doesn't really do that. It's like these guys are smart and they're outcasts, but it's not like look what they use their intelligence for. It's more no. like look at them date rape a woman. You know. So. <laughs> yeah, that's not funny. No. Uh, <laughs> so I like that this movie 
I forget the exact line that Val Kilmer says, and I should remember it because I've seen this movie so many goddamn times. But he says, when you're smart, people is it people will listen to you people will not people will like you no he's giving it's definitely a speech not people to will like you right uh <laughs> people will, i don't i don't remember what it is people but respect i respect you people will maybe I, maybe, maybe people respect you i don't know maybe it's yeah. people will listen but yeah i'm not sure anymore if they make oh no <laughs> teen movies like mm, that no like, no well they don't make teen movies anymore um, but also People no longer respect you when you're smart. So. Even in a movie like Jurassic Park, which was in the 90s, yes. the kids are smart. Like, the girl is the smart girl. And right, they, right. She's, she's a hacker. She's Yeah, I'm a hacker. <laughs> um, her line I love is, ah, ah, I know this. And, I, you, you know, I love that feeling. Um, but, yeah, so they make it look fun to be smart. Um, it's not... I wouldn't if hmm, directed by Martha Coolidge. Yes, who's great um, for this and Valley Girl, both in the. I guess it's the respect she has for young adults, for sure, for yeah. young people. Yeah, um, which I think some movies about young people have no respect for young people as people. Right. She um, was actually supposed to then go on to make. Some Kind of Wonderful, the movie mm-hmm. written by John Hughes. Howard Deutsch was hired to direct it. He left the movie. They brought in Martha Coolidge. She cast a couple of people, including Kyle MacLachlan, Kim Delaney. She might have cast Eric Stoltz. I don't know. And she wanted mm-hmm. to do kind of a darker version of that movie. And John Hughes didn't like what she was doing because he wanted it to be broad and stupid. And so okay. he had her fired and brought Howard Deutsch back in. Okay. So John Hughes was exactly the counter that I was going to bring up because, like, I've loved a lot of John Hughes movies in the time. Yeah. But now sometimes I look back and it's almost like, you know how we talk about the male gaze? Yeah. He's got a very adult gaze on young people. Sure. And I think Martha Coolidge sets that aside a little and takes a younger person gaze on young people and sometimes the the adult gaze on young people comes across a little creepy in a Hughes movie. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. And there's probably reasons for that. And w- weirdly enough I feel like at the time that Hughes was like in power part of the reason he was given so much power was because I think people felt like or he got credit for writing young people like a young yes. person. He, yes. he got young people, you know, and he was friends with teenagers. <laughs> yeah, but see, here's where we're right, going. And now it's like, well, that's because weird. you look at a movie like Breakfast Club, yeah, and which I love, which is a great movie. Me too. Which you love know, it. there's a lot of just memory in there, a lot of great lines in there, a lot of great characters in there. But again, is it the same level of respect for them as? people with their own interior lives mm-hmm. as they're in in real as there is in a movie like real genius and the kids are older in real genius mm-hmm. but well most of them mitch is 15 <laughs> right right yeah but i don't know it's just a little different approach that um i think martha coolidge really nails well and based on the breakfast club if john hughes had written uh uh, uh real genius he would have given jordan a makeover at the end there you go. Or there would have been some even. I think he would have done things with the character of Laszlo. 
that make that would have made him crazier and maybe yeah. funnier, but maybe less sympathetic and relatable. I, I I love John Hughes. I'm not here to shit on no 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 John Hughes. He has meant he meant a lot to me for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And, but he does have a very like broad sense of humor that doesn't totally appeal to me. Some of his like weird science comedies. Yeah. I'm not a weird science guy because the uh, even Sixteen Candles. I think yeah. the the humor is so broad. So when I say I love John Hughes, I'm basically like, well, I love The Breakfast Club. Yeah. <laughs> I like Pretty in Pink. Pretty in Pink. Yeah. I enjoy Ferris Bueller. I know I'm not supposed to anymore, but uh, no, I still do though. And Home Alone, and yeah. I mean, even some kind of wonderful I like, uh, mostly for the performances because mm-hmm. it's just Pretty in Pink Redux. But I'm sad that we didn't get the Martha Coolidge yeah, version of that. Movie. I would really like to see that. And I wonder if it would have put her career on a slightly different trajectory. I know that movie wasn't like a monster hit, but which which one wasn't that? Some kind of wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm just wondering because her career takes kind of an, a weird turn mm-hmm. after Real Genius. She doesn't make anything for a while. She makes Rambling Rose, which I've never seen, no, but I've I feel like Laura that. Dern got an Oscar nomination for that. And then well. it's kind of, I don't want to say nothing because she continues to work, but it's like not stuff I'm familiar with, not yeah. stuff that I would associate someone at the level of Martha Coolidge with. Yeah. Especially at that time, there weren't a lot of female directors. No. So. Working in this specific genre, yeah. it's it's her and Amy Heckerling, and yeah. they kind of go down similar paths, I think. So, again, maybe at the time the industry said, nope, two's, two's too many. We only need one of those. <laughs> We're thinking maybe none. <laughs> what do you guys think about having no female directors? Uh, yeah. So how did, you know, I'm not even really aware how Real Genius did. It was successful, right? Uh, I will tell you. I feel like it was, but I don't know if it was like a theatrical success so much as it was like a movie that, yeah. was, like so many movies in the 80s, really found life on cable. It yeah. only cost $8 million to make, and it made 13 Okay. <laughs> so, so that movie deserved to make more, but yes. also they did a lot with $8 million. Yeah. There's some, a lot of, just all the campus stuff is yeah. really believable that that's the campus. Um, the lab stuff really works. Like, there's a lot of lab stuff in there that is kind of cool. I found myself this viewing more than any other. Um, because Real Genius is like two-thirds of a movie uh, that takes place at a college. Um there's sort of a montage where Val Kilmer needs to invent this laser and passes classes. So he buttons up literally and starts mm-hmm. going to class and an apple explodes and, you know, it's funny. Um, and then he gets called into Atherton's office and he because he produces the laser and Atherton mm-hmm. is like, you did it. You passed. And almost from that point forward, and it's not because Chris Knight passes, it's because it suddenly turns into a movie where they're like sneaking onto an army base Yeah, that I kind of check second, out. It's the second half of Stripes. <laughs> yes. it's And it was like Goodwill Hunting was going to do this same thing. Yeah. Until they really? met with – Yeah. Goodwill Hunting had a whole subplot about where like the government was using Will Hunting's intelligence to mm. like do something bad. And they met with Rob Reiner and Rob Reiner was like, that's mm. all got to go. <laughs> okay. 
which is a great note because it, then it's real genius, <laughs> which is the least interesting stuff in the movie. I don't mind the subplot that like Jerry Hathaway is having them build a weapon. And obviously all is forgiven when we get to the popcorn. Yeah. yeah. Because it's such a great image and a great joke. And the song is playing. Oh, my gosh. Right. It's just... All of it comes yeah. together and you're like, ah, I forgive you, real genius, <laughs> for the last 15 minutes. Uh, but, man, them sneaking around the base yeah. and, like, hiding from soldiers and none of that stuff works really well for me. Yeah. Uh, it still works for me okay. in that I see them kind of because it's only then that we get to see them really working as a team. Okay. You know, it's yeah. kind of like, okay, now we've got all these characters and they're living down the hall from each other. Now they have a project and their work, their team, the band, the band is gelling. Right. And this is the band's big concert is this little mission. Um, Mitch gets to wear a fake mustache. You know, I'm in on that. <laughs> um, it makes him look 16. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at least. Um, the, the, one of the funniest things though is when they play the prank on um, Kent. Sure. For me, that's another sure. thing that uh, uh, JBF, this movie, and I will joke around all, about a lot is um, one of us will say to the other, Kent, this is Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Which... <laughs> and that, I should look up that actor's name because I don't remember it. I know he was in Bachelor Party playing a very similar... Um, yeah. Scumbag in that movie, he's like the yuppie a hole who's competing yeah. for Tawny Katane's love. Um, but yeah. he's really good at playing that part. The scene where Jerry has to tell him three times in a row, You're not allowed to use my first name. <laughs> love it, love it. I'm trying to find his name yeah. and it's not coming to me easily. Um, oh, there it is, Robert Prescott. Okay. Bob Is Prescott, a, yeah. uh, little Robert Prescott, does a great job in Real Genius. Bobby P. Oh, he shows up in um, Michael Clayton. I remember that. He's what? like one of the. Okay, now. He's one of the like hitmen that takes out Tom Wilkinson. Oh, my gosh. Michael Clayton. <laughs> He's, you know what? Because after his college career. Yeah. Is derailed. That's right. He doesn't get by the Mitch job. and Chris. He becomes bitter. Whatever the job is, it's yeah, just he doesn't get the job. Everyone. Um, how about Atherton? Do we need to talk about sure. him? Sure. I mean, and he had the character? market cornered on this kind of part. It's the same guy he plays in Ghostbusters, right? And I love it. <laughs> he's he's one of the greatest pricks in all of cinema. He is, you know. Uh, Cheers. And he, wow, shoot, what's the movie he turned down? He turned down something because he was like, well, I've played that part too many times. I think it was Mallrats. Okay. And Michael Rooker ended up taking the part and then Atherton went on to make like Biodome or something. Okay. Like, Atherton is, I guess, objectionable, uh, unobjectionably good looking, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, Um. So why can I simply not imagine him as a believable romantic lead? <laughs> Did like, you ever see the Sugarland Express? No. Steven Spielberg's first movie. I never movie. have. Yeah, it's him and Goldie Hawn, and he's really good in it. And he's kind of a romantic lead in that movie. Okay, and not a prick at all. Um, I uh, <laughs> no, not like he is in the okay. 80s. That's worth checking out just to see him stretch, being <laughs> stretch more of a, a normal guy. Yeah. Well, again, it was. I feel like 
between Ghostbusters, Real Genius, and Die Hard, it's like, well, this guy's career path is yeah. set, and this is all he's ever going to play because no one does it better than him. He's so good. He's so good. And again... He's funny with the slow burn. Right. He's just really... Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's funny. As a kid, I didn't like get all the stuff about him building this house with the money that he's getting yeah. from the government to build a laser and like it's very no- throwaway lines yeah the house it does not seem like the house he would build i don't know right it just yeah the lines are kind of thrown away but yeah but even the payoff didn't probably work as well for me as a kid because i didn't understand right the significance of the house i just thought well they put popcorn in his house you know yeah. and that's funny they're just mad at their teacher <laughs> Like, I always got it, but I thought it, right. it could have been a little clear. But maybe Martha Coolidge didn't want to kind of hit you over the head with it. But it gives you little, you know, I like uh, the little bits of business, like that he hosts the TV show, <laughs> that he is remodeling his house. Like, he does yeah. have a life outside of just being the antagonist to Chris yeah. Knight. Yeah, he's a mentor to his friend's daughter. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Girl's got to have her standards. A uh, nice little Deborah Foreman cameo yeah. there for all you Valley Girl fans. Yeah, she's really cute in this too. Yeah. Um, oh, I just had something I was going to say about Atherton, and I forgot. Oh, I read that they they went to great lengths to make sure that birds didn't eat the popcorn. What? It took them, like, months to pop all the popcorn. Okay. <laughs> Which, again, only in 1985. There's because you're making this popcorn. movie in 2023. There's no real popcorn no. used. But it looks like real popcorn. Because it is real popcorn. Yeah. Uh, but it was laced with something. And they wanted to make sure that birds wouldn't eat it. Oh, my because gosh. Because they could kill the birds. Oh so God. they went to great lengths to make sure. So that little ASPCA... Disclaimer at the end of a movie, no animals were harmed. They take that shit seriously, <laughs> That's folks. That's right. Uh, yeah, they As well they should. It's like the first credit at the end of Quigley Down Under. Did yeah, you notice that? Yeah, I did. Because yeah. a lot of animals, like there's a horse that jumps off a cliff. Yeah. And and it's shocking. Yeah. You see a, and you, you, it's shocking. Yeah. Dingoes are taking fire. Yeah, they are. I'm dingoes, trying to find the thing about the birds. Dingoes eating dingoes. Horses jumping off a cliff. <laughs> Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. Uh, the popcorn was treated with a fire retardant chemical, so they guarded it against being eaten by birds who could have died from the contaminant. But wouldn't it have made the birds fire retardant? Perhaps. <laughs> but then how would we get rid of all those birds? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it took three months to pop all the popcorn. Wow. Some intern still shudders at the scent of (laughs) melted butter. Right. And having to clean it up so the birds (laughs) don't get it. Oh, my gosh. Um, Yeah, this was in like a weird second tier of teen movie. It's not like fully a teen movie, but it is. It's a movie about young people that came out in the 80s. Um, It was like this and like Better Off Dead was one. that like they were like a secret handshake where if you met yeah. somebody else who knew those movies and liked those movies okay it's like okay you've gone beyond the the obvious choices yeah. um yeah i agree 
real genius is super highly quotable. Yeah. And does not the posters from the time. Yes. It's all great lines and quotes. Um, And the poster, I think, does not do it justice. Just Val Kilmer with the thing on his head and being like, like, hey, I'm wacky. It looks like. Bill Murray. Yeah. It looks. Was. Exactly. Was it kind of an Animal House era? Era. Um. Um. I mean, it's definitely like... Because it looks like the smart kid's animal house, but that's not what it's about. No, it's really not. Um, I don't I don't think I've ever like watched trailers for the movie, so I don't know Ooh. how they marketed it at Does the time. Does this podcast now have homework for listeners? Oh, for sure. Everybody As watch should the trailers they all. For Real yeah. Genius. Um, it was my first time seeing it theatrically. I'd never seen it on the big screen before. Oh, yeah, I have. I don't... It didn't add much, you know. <laughs> Some movies you watch it on the big screen for the first time, you're like, oh, this is a totally different experience. Real Genius, and maybe just because I know it so well, yeah. was like, yeah, this is Real Genius. Um, yeah, I enjoyed seeing it on the big screen, but I, I, I go with you on that. Aside from the fact that you can tell it's real popcorn. Right. Not a, not a huge. No. Yeah, definitely a great watch at home with the kids movie. Which well, we had. The, I, like, not the teeny kids. There are a couple of things. And Rosie didn't quite get the uh, our 10 year old did not quite get the whole i leaned over at one point i said are you you enjoying it she's like yeah like do you know why they're mad no (laughs) why she's so cute yeah she is i don't know how it happened um this is i'm going all the way back to land of the lost real quick but we're talking about yes please we're talking about real popcorn slee stacks there's all these scenes in land of the lost that i was like well at least they went to a real desert and filmed On some real locations, obviously, with some, some real giant set pieces, right? Which are fun and and real guys in rubber suits, and yes. it's not all CG. <laughs> like the dinosaur, obviously CG. I'm sure a lot of the environments CG, if not CG enhanced. But I appreciated yeah. that most of the time you felt like they were interacting with real things. Yes, a hundred percent. And again. If you're going to do a Sid and Marty Croft show, right. you have to do practical stuff because right. they were all about the rubber suits. Right. Or foam rubber. I don't know what. They didn't have a huge budget. And real? did they use real claymation in in the movie? I don't think they did. Yeah. What would have been claymation? I the can't dinosaur? think of anything. No, like I think that was just shots? a CG dinosaur. Yeah. yeah. The crab, I think, was CG. Yeah. Maybe. Before it gets boiled, of course. Yeah. R.I.P. the crab. Um, crab was delicious. <laughs> um, so more about Real Genius. More about Real Genius. Honestly, I have to say, if you haven't seen Real Genius, it it plays well now. It doesn't... I don't think it super dates itself. No, I would agree with that. And um, I think it's a great sort of a family movie for say junior high age yeah and older and it's super quotable if you haven't seen it in a while i think it would make a great rewatch yeah i agree with all of that i know we did show it to our kids a couple months ago but again rosie kind of in and out of the room Mm -hmm. charlie i think mostly paid attention was was much more into it in the theater Mm -hmm. hasn't said much about it other than like yeah it was good yeah Mm -hmm. All right. He didn't like immediately put it in his all-time top ten like he did when we took him to see You've Got Mail at the Draft House. Still not getting that, but 
I love that he loves it. <laughs> I love that he loves it. I just think he's all in on Tom Hanks. Like yeah. His two favorite movies are Tom Hanks movies right now. Actually, okay. I think his top three are all Tom Hanks okay. movies. That makes sense to me. So I think You've Got Mail yeah. okay. was I'm on going board. to play for him no matter what. Because of the Tom Hanks of it all. Yes. Has he seen Bridge of Spies? He has not seen Bridge of Spies, <laughs> but I think he would like Bridge of Spies. I've yeah, told him he, he needs too. to watch Bridge of Spies. Uh, it's Spielberg and Tom Hanks. He hasn't seen Saving Private Ryan. Okay. Which is, uh, I mean, yeah, a little much. Yeah, it's, you know. Um, but again, they're about to study all this stuff exactly. in school. Exactly. So and he likes it. history. So yeah, I was like, well, history. it is a historical film. Yeah. If you can get past those first 15 minutes or yeah. so, you know. Um, I forget what I was going to say about Real Genius being, I had another thought about it being like this other tier. Okay. Yeah. You said it was sort of second tier. Not in a bad way, yeah. Um, but just that it's a slightly deeper cut than the obvious, like Sixteen Candles, Breakfast Club, sure. Uh, the sort of '80s comedies that everybody knew and could quote. Like when you find somebody who can quote Real Genius, you're like, "Hey, yeah. you're okay. part of a special club." Yeah, but definitely worth it, and definitely good enough to be on more people's radar. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm going to check and see if it's currently streaming, actually. There was a group of women, we should say, who were there to see it. They almost looked like a bachelorette party or something. And they all were wearing the little antenna. Yeah, with the the little styrofoam ball at the top. That Val Kilmer wears in the movie. And then one girl had the Gorilla Club t-shirt on. Oh, Nobody had an I Heart Toxic Waist shirt, which (laughs) was disappointing. But whatever. Make it yourself. (laughs) Make it yourself. I couldn't possibly. Um, So, yeah, Martha Coolidge, let's, you know, goes on to make Rambling Rose. Yeah. The adaptation of Neil Simon's Lost in Yonkers, which I never saw. I think I saw that one. A Gina Davis movie called Angie. Never saw it. By 97, she's making Out to Sea with Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. Oh, wow. And it's great that she's getting work and she's doing comedy. Yeah. Uh, the Prince and Me with Julia Stiles, Material Girls with Brittany <sighs> Murphy, and then an American Girl, Krissa Stands Strong. Okay, which is which in is a two thousand nine. Yeah. Okay, I would like to see her getting more projects, but I'm glad she's getting work as a female director. Yeah, that was in two thousand nine. An American Doll Girl. American Girl doll movies yeah. deserve good directors, too. But do they deserve directors as good as Martha Coolidge? <laughs> no. That's the, what Does I'm struggling Martha with. Martha Coolidge, and I'm sure Martha Coolidge would do a great job with a property like that, but... And it's great for girls who watch those movies to see a female right. director's name, but I wish she could get better projects. Yeah. I mean, she does a lot of TV now, I think, okay. which seems to be... Uh, Adam and I just did a Patreon show about a Brad Silberling movie who made Land of the Lost, yeah. and he made his last movie six years ago and now just does TV. That's cool. It's great that they're working, but, but again, yeah. and and this is where the jobs are, and that's fine, but like, we can't just have six people making movies. No, I agree. That's, I think, one of the things going on right now in movies, which I... 
only my only qualification for having opinions on this at all is that I love movies and going to movies. So that's all know. any of us has. That's, um, I have no expertise. I beyond would it. love to see more different kinds of movies, which it seemed like back in the eighties. You can have, you could not only have teen comedies that were fresh and fun and interesting. You could have different kinds of fresh, fun, interesting teen comedies. Right. Which is a level of granular differentiation yeah. that I think no longer exists. For sure. Which I miss. Right. Well, again, that was part of the fun of yesterday watching those five movies was that, like, they were all kind of different from one another. Very, yeah. Uh, even though three of them were comedies. Yeah. Um, and two of them were comedies from the 2000s. Uh, they were different enough from each other that you didn't just feel like you were watching the same movie five times. Definitely. And I think there's a little bit of we're seeing the same movie over and over again yeah. now. Not I'm... to be back on this no, I know. soapbox because I feel like probably once every episode or every other episode I <laughs> complain about the state of modern movies and there's still good movies being made. Um, yeah, for sure. And some of them are on <clears throat> channels like Netflix and, you know, for sure. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's not, I'm, I guess, you know, maybe it's because we're in the middle of a changing time for movies and the way movies are consumed. Yes. And that's not necessarily bad. Um, you know, it's like people who complain about coal mine jobs going away, you know, like, right. well, there are other jobs. <laughs> So maybe it's not all bad, but um, please no comments about my hate of the coal industry, my hatred of the coal industry. You know I love- But have I talked to you about clean coal? Oh, stop. You know I love fossil fuels. (laughs) I love Land of the Lost, and it's about dinosaurs. Sort of. Mm. It's also about monkey people (laughs) and slee stacks. And lighters and crabs. And lighters and crabs and- Hallucinogenic drugs. Of course. Matt Lauer. <laughs> time it's, travel. I think it's Land of the Lost, the Matt Lauer story. <laughs> um, I had something else to say about not the coal industry, but well, that, that's the thing is like uh, anytime I want to complain about the state of modern movies, it's like I could still go back and watch a movie that's new to me. Mm-hmm. Every day mm-hmm. for the rest of my life, and yes. I'll be fine with movies all made before 2023. Okay, and here's so the I'm thing. not ever going to run out. Why won't people do that? Because you programmed a film festival yesterday. It, out of the five films we saw, yeah. which was the most recent? Would you say maybe Hail Caesar? It? Oh, okay, Hail Caesar. But Hail Caesar was still 2015, I think. Fifteen. Yeah. Okay, so I had that's the only one I'd seen. Okay. So, and I had a great time with all the other four movies. So maybe I would just love if we stopped thinking of movies and movie going as only about or even as much about new films as some people seem to think it is. Yeah. But you say this is a problem you have, like, with your students, too. Yes. So that confounds me. Because what if... Literature was only about books that had been written in the last year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
there are literally a hundred years of movies to serve us now. Right. And I guess for some reason this makes sense in my head and I'm not going to be able to articulate it in the way that I want to. But like. And I'm going to fault you for that. The, <laughs> and the the way I'm looking at you right now should intimidate you. The, I'm not privy to the conversation <laughs> around books and literature. Okay. The conversation around movies tends to be about what's out now. Yeah. The current state of movies, the current business, who's winning Oscars, who's yeah, up yeah. for Oscars, what is the next Marvel movie, how much did the last one gross. Um, to to drill down deeper, you kind of have to either belong to a community like this or awesome take a film community. studies class, right? Yeah. This do, awesome community is a film studies does class. Does the same thing exist around books? I don't know. Is there a culture of just talking about new fiction? There probably is if you find the right, you know, subreddit. Sure, sure. but I'm a little bit on board with like um, lit twit, you know. Okay. Or or the poetry industry, the literature industry, and I mean, people still read. They're called the classics for a reason, right? Do you exactly. know what I mean, right? I would put – would you put Real Genius in a movie like – in sort of that category of you might say, you know, you can't make it through an American adolescence without reading a Judy Bloom book. Right. I wouldn't call Judy Bloom classic literature, but it's right. something that should be part of your having read this as a young person repertoire. Would you put Real Genius in that pantheon? Mm. I personally would. Okay. You should see Real Genius. If you've never seen it, it's one of those movies you should have a familiarity with. Not because it's this important, groundbreaking, chain-moving movie, mm -hmm. but because it's a Is fun- that a sports reference? Yeah. Okay. Moving the chains. <laughs> um, but because it's a, it's a fun, it's just a fun conversation piece movie. Well, and, and it, it celebrates a different kind of young person yeah. that wasn't and still isn't really being celebrated. Agreed. Yeah. But to me, I would almost, I would still put it in like advanced studies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like I think the Breakfast Club is like, okay, you have to see the Breakfast yes. Club. And once you've knocked out these five classics, quote unquote, okay. you know, must watches. If you're willing to keep going, then Real Genius is in that next. I would group. say in the next five. Sure. I would put it in. Yeah. In a not only be again not because it's so seminal and ground shaking, but because it's good and fun and interesting and lively. Yes, and more movies should be those things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we shouldn't lose sight of like. We should value movies that are good and interesting and fun and lively. Yes. Uh, no matter when they were made. Exactly. Right. And that was a little bit the, the, the intent of the movies that I picked for yesterday. I'm glad that you'd only seen one of them because usually when I pick movies to show for my birthday, it's because I feel like these are movies that have value that maybe not enough people have seen. Yeah. That's always the theme. Yeah. Going all the way back to the first year I did it. 
When we watch Southland Tales, right? When we watch Southland Tales. That's exactly right. We've come full circle to Richard Kelly's third movie. Um, well, the first year we did it was actually at the Prairie Center when we did That's Streets right. of Fire and Jill vs. the Volcano. I was definitely there for that. And JB could not be because he was That's in right. like Louisville, maybe? I don't know where he was. He still says he regrets it, which he I He does. He should not carry that with him. Oh, that no. Was, he carries 16 it. years ago. But, like an uh, albatross around his neck. <laughs> Literary classics reference. <laughs> but that's always been the theme. Um, and I usually try to pick movies that are good and or interesting yeah. <laughs> and or fun and or lively. Yeah. If, you, if they could be all of them, like Real Genius, more power to you. Yeah. But sometimes you can only be like two of the four. <laughs> And I still think there's value in that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, absolutely. I don't know. Anything else about Real Genius you want to say? Or are we um, Just who else could you see playing that Val Kilmer part with such mm. alacrity? Mm. I have no idea because he's so, like, in my mind, he's so fused to that performance. Me too. I could see John Cusack doing that character, but it would be a totally different movie. It would be a very different movie. Yeah. Yeah. But only um, he, like, has that, just that, I don't even know how to describe an ease of progression that he can give a character where you just, he keeps going at the same level all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> in a way that's really fun. Well, in the very next year, Val Kilmer does Top Gun and, like, the trajectory of his career kind of yeah. changes as well. Yeah. Because he doesn't do many comedies after this. Except for, like, the villain role in MacGruber, you know, when he kind of circles back around to comedy. But he starts out doing Top Secret and Real Genius, two of the, like, great, sneaky, undersung comedies of the 80s. Um, And then he does Top Gun, and it's like, well, now he's Val Kilmer movie star, you know. Damn his good looks. Right? Seriously. How ridiculous is Top Gun, by the way, when they showed that clip of him and Tom Cruise talking to each other yeah. about, like, that's right, I am dangerous. <laughs> he does the thing with his teeth. It's just – and Erica's giggling because she loves it, and I'm giggling because I can't believe that's in a Who fucking movie. Who are these movie, humans? Right? Oh, my gosh. Anyway, thank you, guys. Thank you, Jan, for doing this. this so much fun. fun. Uh, go to fthismovie.com every day for more cool movie shit like this. Follow us on Twitter at FThisMovie. We have a Patreon. If you are a fan of the show and want more of it, you can go to patreon.com slash FThisMovie for bonus content. Yeah, baby. Adam and I just released a show this week on City of Angels and Mercury Rising, two movies from 1998 that no one is talking about. (laughs) Except us. But we do reveal the fate of the volcano toaster. So uh, make sure that you subscribe and listen. I've heard a little. It's worth it. It is. The coast (laughs) is toast, and so is the toast. Uh, thanks, Jen. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.